This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how are we doing? Metcalf, doing good. Uh, Tuesday, and I keep looking at the calendar and cannot believe that the draft is almost a week away. we got nine days. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped out of my mind. But I'm really excited for the guests we got tonight because it's a team that's driving me a little crazy with the NBA draft, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do. So I'm pumped up for this one. Well, like you said, we are joined by James Plowright, site content manager and podcast host for All Hornets and contributor at SI.com. James, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and talk to us about what the Hornets could potentially be doing. How's everything going with you? Everything is going great. Um, no, thank you guys. I'm I'm excited to come on and, and I'm so excited and I've been holding off to do this. I just bought uh, your draft guide live on yes. this podcast right now. So there's... <laughs> There's a plug for you from your guest. Uh, I don't think anyone else has done that yet. So, uh, yeah, I've been holding off to buy it before because I knew I was coming on here and I wanted to do that live. So you've got another another purchase. Happy buyer from me. Oh, we, we we greatly appreciate the support. Not, not, not only are you taking the time to join us, but you, you're spending your money. So we, we really appreciate that. But I, before we dive specifically into the draft for the Hornets, I, I think the best place to start is just kind of going over some of their young guys, how they've developed, what we kind of think of their future role, um, and how kind of their new head coach, Kenny Atkinson, may influence some of their development. And the Hornets have had some of some lottery picks here in the recent future, which has led to them having some incredibly exciting young talent headlined by LaMelo Ball. So uh, among the Hornets community, how out of control is the excitement for LaMelo's future? Yeah, out of control. Um, the only the only thing I can really draw any kind of parallel to is almost like when Jeremy Lin had that one year in Charlotte and you got like the Lin fans. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, LaMelo is the best prospect that Charlotte have had on the roster since... Since the expansion team, um, if, we, if we're being honest, um, he has done things as a teenager, as a 20-year-old in the league that not many people do. You know, he was youngest triple-double in league history before Josh Giddy this year. Uh, one of the youngest all-stars ever. That was injury replacement, but we'll count it. We don't have much else to count, so we'll take it. Um, so, yeah, w- things are excited. Th- there is seem to be a bit of a pushback from, like, the NBA media that Lamelo isn't like a winning player and he is not a he's not a real player. He's just like a street fun baller, which I kind of feel was strange because since he's come to the team, they've improved like 10 wins each year. And he's been behind a lot of that, uh, especially this last season. So uh, Hornets fans are pumped. You're beginning to get that inevitable like you can never get too high on someone because then you always get that random push back. 
Yeah, and the, it's really exciting that we're already at the point of LaMelo not being a quote-unquote winning player. Usually it takes <laughs> at least four years for a guy to get into his career. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he he's already breaking the mold doing it two years in. Um, but what, what, what do you kind of see as his ceiling as a player? Do you think he's one of these guys that could adapt some of that heliocentric model like Aluka does and not not saying player for player but just kind of style and kind of team construction or do you think more of a connector flow of the game move the ball attack when you can type of offense with him yeah I I didn't think he'll ever be a number one and a championship level team is my gut one thing I will say is this is I don't think I I've it's hard to put limits on what Lamelo can do with his age, his size, his talent, his skill level, his feel for the game. Uh, his his motto is like one on one, and he really is not just how he plays basketball. His his approach to the game, his approach to life, he is a unique character. And the the thing that leads me to that is, you know, he is not the best self creator, like at the mid range or at the rim. He is a very good, excellent shooter, I would say, from deep, from all around the court and from just way beyond the three-point line. But really for those Luca, Giannis, Tatum, those kind of guys, like they just can score from anywhere. And right now, Melo is not a good finisher at the rim. And unless it's a floater, he really struggles to score in the mid-range. That might come as he gets stronger and he learns to use his body. You know, he's, he's massive for a guard, 6'8". Like he is probably one of the biggest point guards in the NBA right now. But what seems to come more naturally to him is he just loves dishing people up and he loves passing the ball. And that's where he really gets uh, a lot of his joy from playing the game. So with that being his nature, I I think that probably lends him more to be like a number two. Um, But I think, you know, you look at six, seven, eight seeds, I think he could definitely be a number one on a, on a lower level playoff team. And the, the Hornets obviously just had a huge coaching hire in Kenny Atkinson, who people likely remember from elevating that young Brooklyn Nets team just a few years ago and having them exceed those expectations. What kind of influence um, is the hope or do you think that Kenny ends up having on LaMelo and the rest of this young core? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, I actually just got off a podcast with Brian Lewis from the New York Post, um, who covered Kenny during his time in Brooklyn and I was asking him about uh you know how does Kenny communicate with his players and you can you can listen to that on the All Hornets podcast network there's my first plug for the day um but he, he was saying you know Kenny got a lot out of Spencer Dinwiddie who's essentially off the scrap heap and uh really gets on the floor and plays with the guys and I think look for Lamelo, the the on the court stuff really is the game just comes so naturally to him like he's he has shown some potential to begin to kind of play a little bit more under control. He's managed the game better this year, but he's still got to improve that. There was like a lot of two for one situations, situations where the shot clock was running down, where uh, his decision-making still felt like he was playing in the backyard rather than playing in the NBA game. So you're hoping Kenny Atkinson can help him with that. And then the big thing to be honest is defensively. And this is the big thing for me is Lamelo containing Anyone on the drive or trying to navigate screens is just a disaster. Like he's got great help instincts, rotating and, and gambling for steals. But Ka- Kenny Atkinson was really known for getting his those Brooklyn teams to play really hard um, and to be scrappy. And that's really what I think he will look for this undermanned Charlotte Hornets defense. They don't naturally have good defenders, but 
it's just fair to say that the effort level was not there on a consistent basis. And I don't think Lamelo or other Hornets, I'm not just calling out Lamelo here, have put the the kind of real pride into defense and guarding the ball. Rucker, besides Lamelo, is there anyone in this young core that just you're really excited about or just over overall confused by? You know, I, I was interested to to have James on because I, I think there's, you know, intrigue, especially with, you know, draft evaluators like myself, Metcalf, like even going back last year, I think I'm going to be very intrigued to see what happens with uh, James Booknight this year because kind of an up and down rookie year, if you want to say it that politely, but, you know, we didn't see much of him um, as a rookie, um, mainly was, you know, with the Greensboro Swarm in the G League. So, James, do you see potentially like a new coach might be better for Book Knight's potential to maybe have a bounce back second year where it's kind of like a, you know, maybe like a wake up call in, in so many words where all of a sudden that could be another addition to this lineup that fans, you know, obviously Hornets fans are thinking closely about Book Knight because he was uh, such a, you know, well-known pick coming into the lottery last year. But do you think there's a chance that he could finally hit his stride this season with the Hornets? I definitely think he'll get his chance. I think I actually asked Mitch Kupchak about that at the uh, after they let Borrego go. And Kupchak really kind of didn't go into too much detail about why they let Borrego go. But when asked about the young players, he was like, yeah, I'm disappointed they didn't play more. And you were a bit like, oh, you just, you just come out and said it. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So that was definitely one of the things I no doubt will be part of the, the conversations with the coach. I will say Kenny Atkinson is like a straight shoe. He's not just going to gift anyone playing time. But James Booknight, I mean, Mitch Kupchak said after the draft last year that they had an unprecedented amount of interest in that pick when James Booknight slipped to there. And they turned down some, and you saw him like do a double take, as I said, like some very good trade offers. So they're extremely high on Book. There seemed to be a spot coming in the year behind Terry's ear as the, the kind of backup shooting guard. But the kind of underrated thing was Cody Martin, a second round pick from him a few years ago, was sneaky good this year. Like he was the best Hornets perimeter defender. He shot 40% from three, I think for most of the year. And I think he might've finished the year around 39%. And he really earned Borrego's trust. And if I'm being honest, the minutes we did see from Buck Knight, either in the NBA or the G League, there was just some stuff which as a rookie you can't do and expect playing time. Uh, spacing out on defense, like literally just running with the wrong man, giving up backdoor cuts of out of bound plays. You know, there was a, a clip that I remember I put up where he, he shot a three at the end of the shot clock kind of to end up the quarter, but he just let the player who kind of contested his three run out behind him and he just got transition layup straight away. You just can't do those things if you're a rookie wanting to get minutes, especially the Charlotte Hornets team. There was a team who struggled defensively all year. They didn't struggle for scoring. So they weren't often looking to the bench going, hmm, who can we bring in to score points? That's why JT Thor got more run than Buck Knight because he was a defensive focused player. So that the kind of the team need of defense worked against Buck, but also from what he shows, what he showed, just too many mistakes, either defensively, high turnover. Um, you know, really high dribble, turned it over, drove into traffic too many times. There were just too many mistakes there where the game was just breaking down or around book night. Well, I, I, I do think the Hornets have a lot of fun young talent to build on already on the roster, but we are a draft show. So we have to talk about one of the teams that I've had 
some of the most confusion with when doing mock drafts with picks 13 and 15. And I have no idea what direction they're going to go. Um, every time we do a mock draft, we end up doing either some combination of Mark Williams and Ochag Baji in one order or the other, pretty much. And Rucker and I had this conundrum with the Spurs earlier in the season where it's like, okay, well, we're sick of doing this every single time. We're banning it. And even though I love the Mark Williams fit in Charlotte, you know, we're getting dangerously close to having to ban that in all of our mocks. So James at, at 13 and 15, uh, just going into the draft, what do you think the Hornets overall kind of draft strategy will be or should be? Not to have two picks. Um, <laughs> I think that's number one. If, if they draft two at 13 and 15, they'll go into next season, assuming the 45th pick, which they have is a two way they would go into next season, I think, with eight players on rookie contracts, which would be over half the roster. So I don't think that's something the team need. They already have two first-round rookies who didn't get playing time last year. Um, I, I really think it's highly likely that they move one of the picks. I think Jake Fisher just reported today that they were the shopping the 15th pick, um, which which makes sense, which came from the Devontae Graham signing trade last summer, which I don't think gets enough like love from the NBA world to, to trade Devontae Graham for the 15th pick in the draft. Um, like probably my highlight of the season was when the Pelicans beat the Clippers in that playing game last this year. So the, the Hornets got that pick. I was literally like watching it at four in the morning, kind of punching <laughs> the air to get the 15th pick. Um, but yeah, I, I think they'll look to move it. Um, I, I don't think they're necessarily just going to draft someone who's like NBA ready. Mitch Kupchak has said, um, they, this this roster still needs more talent. We are not in the position where you start drafting for need. Um, and also, if you look at it, like the correlation between being older and actually making an impact early in your NBA career, I'm sure you guys will know, is isn't as strong as maybe you might think it is, just from the kind of how how things generally work. Um, but th- they can go a lot of different options in this draft, and. They've got a lot of decisions to make around the center position. Obviously, they need to improve that this offseason. Like, and that's through the draft, trade, for agency. I don't know. But like you said, Mark Williams, I, I don't want to just come on here and talk about the same guy who everyone on the internet's talked about. But um, he, he makes a lot of sense for so many reasons. Like, I can't think of many clearer draft fits, needs, and is also kind of a best player available meshes in, in recent years for any team. James, I, I, it's interesting you say that because it's funny with the draft. I think a lot of fan bases expect if you have two picks in the top 15 like Charlotte, it's like, well, we got to use both of them. But sometimes teams like Charlotte that are right on that, you know, edge of contending to make a push towards the playoffs, they usually want to get a guy that could help right now. They don't want to take a chance on rolling a dice on a rookie. So let's say they, they move one of those picks like you're saying. Do you think it's center? Like they have to target a center with that one pick, or could you see them maybe surprising and going a different direction with another position? I think they could absolutely surprise, um, especially if they move that pick, uh, the fifteenth pick or the thirteenth pick, in a move to get a center. I, I think there is space on the wing here. Cody Martin's a free agent. I think after James Booknight's first year, you don't not draft over him. They need a backup ball handler behind Lamelo Ball unless you want Terrazier to be your backup point guard, or you bring Isaiah Thomas back, or or get someone else from free agency. Um, in the four positions, you they look pretty loaded with, with PJ Washington with Miles Bridges, but you know PJ is going to be an expiring next year. Miles restricted free agent this year, so they really have got needs throughout the roster. I, I don't think this team is 
like a lot of people who cover team will overvalue their own players and say, oh, well, we just need this. This is the missing piece. Not at all. This team needs talent. I think, you know, if one of those wings, Griffin, Davis, Matherin were to fall, I think that would be be super interesting if they were given that dilemma between like Mark Williams and one of those. I think that's that could be a really interesting thing to look at in draft night. So at, at pick 13, just you, your personal favorite, What what is the dream scenario for you? If this is if this counts as realistic, Jalen Duran um, falling to thirteen, which I think his draft prop is ten point five, so it's probably unrealistic ish, but but in the realms of possibility. Um, I really like Duran. I think I've got him ninth on my board. Um, I think he is a guy who obviously we have a little bit more offensive upside, I think, than Mark Williams. Uh, maybe not shooting the ball. I don't think either really project to shoot at long-term, but just being a guy who can actually punish mismatches, um, will call for the ball, like, you know, crazy catch radius on lobs. And I just think his approach would, would work really well with Lamelo. Um, I, I think Mark Williams would as well. I just think Durin, if you take into, if you flip the teams that those two players were on, then to change the context, then you look at Duran's youth um, as well, combined with that. Um, I, I just think Duran would be a kind of more superior prospect to Williams, but I just think there's a lot of context there, which has made that cloudier in draft world. I still think they're close. I think I've got Williams 11 and, and Duran 9, but for me, Duran falling to 9, would uh, sorry, to, to 13, that's my dream scenario for the Hornets uh, because a lot of fans at the start of this draft cycle were like, right, Package 13 and 15, trade up to get Durin, job done. Which I still think could be a possibility if if Charlotte feel he is the guy. As I hit my mic while you're talking, so sorry about that. No, but I uh, I love that idea. I also could see Charlotte trying to package both picks to entice someone like, hey, our guy's falling, let us go up and get him. And, you know, me and Metcalf have been a little cooler on Duran throughout the year, but now if he could fall to a team like Charlotte with Kenny Atkinson, who I'm so excited to see him get another shot at a head coaching gig. Cause I do think he gets his players to play really hard. And that's why I love the fit with, with him going to Charlotte. So Metcalf, are, are you, would you be in on that? I mean, I love that idea for Duran. I know we are dreaming of Mark Williams going there, but if they got one of those two, that would be great for Charlotte. Yeah, I know. so I, I've recently moved Duran back up. I have him at eight. Um, Whoa! Without telling me this, I, <laughs> James, see, you're getting breaking news on this show. Like, I love this. Um, I, I, I just—he's so young. I, the, the dude should be going to college this year. He should be in summer classes right now. And the fact that he took the strides and showed the improvements that he did throughout the season—that's exactly what we want from young players, especially when they're in a horrible context like he was. Um you know, all year we desperately asked like, God, just give him a point guard, please. Can we give him someone who can make an entry pass or throw a decent lob that isn't hitting the other side of the backboard? Lamelo is one hell of a point guard to put him with. Um, so I, I would be surprised if he fell to 13, but Oh my God, if, if, if he did, I, I would be pretty much sprinting to the podium. Um, also just, if he falls, it starts falling a couple spots and they package 13 and 15 and move up to say 10. If Washington doesn't love who's over there, I, I think that's really interesting. So, you know, 
trading up is so hard to do, but if you have two picks right there and you're able to move up three, four spots, it could definitely be worth it. Um, Rucker, how do, how do you feel though with between Duran and Mark Williams on that roster? I just feel, you know, kind of what James was hinting at. I, I feel both of those guys would be just exactly kind of one of the missing pieces of what they need. Just a big, physically imposing big man that could pair beautifully with LaMelo. Like both of them have the potential to be lob threats. They both can be defensive anchors. Um, I do believe Duran, as much as we love Mark Williams, Duran has probably the higher ceiling just because of the offensive upside, but that would be great. I mean, we're talking about Jalen Duran having the nightmare year at Memphis with no point guard. And now he's going to get LaMelo ball. Potentially that would just be like, my goodness, welcome. Life's about to get more enjoyable for Jalen Duran. So, um, I like both of them. I, I think both of those guys ending up, if one of them could end up there in Charlotte, that is a game changer for that organization. Um, so yeah, now I'm, now I'm really intrigued by the idea. Also Metcalf, you just planted that 10 for 13 and 15 in my head now. And I can't get that out. Cause I'm like, wait, that makes <laughs> sense for both teams. Why wouldn't they just do this? So. Yeah. I, it really does feel if Charlotte want Durham, they can get him. That's kind of how it feels to me. Right. So if they don't make the move on draft night, then you've got to feel pretty comfortable that, okay, they had someone else rated higher on the board. But yeah, I agree with what you guys said. I just think if you, you look at the, the terrible situation Durham was in in Memphis, then you look at Mark Williams, who's surrounded by like five NBA players, had like passing at three different positions with Wendell Moore, Paolo Banquero, uh, Jeremy Roach, like all those guys could pass the ball, spacing from AJ Griffin. And... You can you can understand why if you look at the statistical profile, Mark Williams looks better statistically. So, yeah, I, I think either of those guys are a win, but I, I don't think we should get trapped into this thing that the Hornets are definitely going to select a center here. I think, mm-hmm. you know, name me how many centers outside the top 10 end up being a starting center on a playoff level team in their first year, which is what this team wants to do. They've just fired Borrego. They are in win now mode. Um, the interesting thing with Kenny Atkinson is a lot of people pointed to the work he did with Jarrett Allen. And if you remember, one of the reasons he got fired from Brooklyn was because he was playing Jarrett Allen over DeAndre Jordan at the time, which I think looking back, he can feel pretty comfortable about that decision. <laughs> um, but you look at what he did with Jarrett Allen in drop coverage in Brooklyn, and it just makes you think, well, even more a guy like Mark Williams fits because that's off, like you know, a very common draft comp. So I, I, I think... It it is important to think about, okay, what are they going to do if it isn't just a center? Because we always, all of these mock drafts around this time of the year end up looking way too similar. And we're, we're guilty of it. Every outlet is guilty of it um, because we, you know, we, we inherently get into a little too much groupthink and the actual draft never goes that way. There's always some weird curveball, or it's like, wait, why did they take a wing when this perfect fit was there at center? So if they do decide to go wing or power forward or even guard, who, who at 13 or 15 do you think would make sense? Or who would you really like to see them take a swing at? I think Jeremy Sohan makes sense. Again, if he's there, there is top 10 buzz with him. But depending where you look, like ESPN seemed to have Sohan consistently outside the lottery, which is interesting. Um, but this, this team needs defense. Uh, it needs physicality. And that is two things that I think Sohan brings and he brings defensive versatility. 
Um, I think another guy you can look at maybe Tari Eason, EJ Liddell, kind of probably maybe a little bit later in the group think mock draft world, but on a draft board, I could see an easy way that either of them could be in the Charlotte's top 15. Um, again, like I think there's probably some positional overlap there with like PJ Washington, who's already like a four five and, Maybe that makes more sense if you if you move PJ on another night, which I, I have a PJ Washington trade I want to float past you guys because I know oh, you're a PJ please, Washington yes, fan. Please. Yes, James, you came to the right place. I love this. I just <laughs> this, got this out of is my really seat. simple. It's just a one okay. for one, which I think might blow your mind. Which is PJ Washington for Devon Mitchell. So let me let me talk through the thinking. Um, oh, James, hit me with <laughs> so PJ is about to get paid, right? Right, I, right, right. I, th- I think PJ is probably a, I'd say a better prospect right now, but he's he's going to get paid next summer. And Charlotte are about to give out a big bag to Miles Bridges. Devion Mitchell is a defense first player, can probably play with Lamelo or back him up. He's under a rookie sale contract for three more years. The Hornets are desperate for a backup ball handler to be on the roster, and he's also a defensive ball pressure guy, which the Hornets just don't really have outside of Cody Martin. Um, so if you mix in the kind of low cost backup guard, also the, the defense, and he can play with a mellow um, compared to PJ, who is, is a good player. and I think probably more valuable right now, but is about to get expensive. Uh, and in his fit next to Sabonis, where he can be like a floor spacer, a more versatile switch defender while Sabonis plays some drop. Uh, that's that's one that I've just come up with, which I, I wanted to throw out there while while on this podcast. Um, neither of you said anything when I said the trade, which made me uh, think that maybe you guys aren't on board. But I don't even know if I'm on board. But it's just a, a fun thought exercise. It, it's you know what it is. It's like the start of something where I'm like, okay, there the, there could be like the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, there's there's some there's some legs to this. I just don't know if it needs to add more pieces. But the idea I like, because especially if I'm th- now I'm just mad scientist mode. Now it's like Sacramento was like, okay, we would take Ivy and then we have PJ. Exactly. Yeah. But Metcalf, you go. I, no, I, I, so I, I like <laughs> I'm it. I'm putting it on you. Um, no, I, I like it, especially from just like a fit standpoint. I, I think PJ is a better player right now. Um, so I, you know, if I was Charlotte, I'd be like, all right, well, I, I would like a little bit more back. For this, um, but I, I think PJ makes a lot of sense in Sacramento. Um, I think Davion makes a lot of sense and would be kind of a fun uh, pairing uh, next to or you know behind in the depth chart with Lamelo, and then that kind of frees up a spot at four where if Jeremy Sohan does fall, if EJ Liddell comes in right away to contribute, if Tari Eason's there and they take a swing on him, it's like okay, well now we're going to be able to kind of plug mm-hmm. and play you immediately while also getting guys like JT Thor and Kai Jones some potential run you know as well and there isn't this big log jam of guys in the front court where it's like okay well we just don't have enough minutes for all of you because PJ is this good and already demanding this many minutes and is looking to get paid so I don't know I I think it's really interesting um I, I'm not sure I'd do it just straight up but I I definitely think it's like it's like oh, it's like eight 80% there. And I'm like, I'm very intrigued. We'll, we, we can leave it on the maybe pile. Yeah. yeah we, we'll <laughs> workshop it. We'll come back yeah. to it. But you know, 
Um, but it's interesting you said that because me and Metcalf have talked before. We're like, what's the deal with PJ Washington? Like, I like PJ. Do we think the Hornets are going to try to potentially move him? Like, I, I can't get the idea of EJ Liddell potentially being a wild card for the Hornets. Like, I could see that they are intrigued with a player like that, especially to pair with Lamelo. Um, so it's just fascinating you brought that up because I was like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted James to say. Thank you, but. Yeah, uh, EJ Liddell, I think I've got him 16th on my board. The the Love only it. thing that makes me think they might not go this route is they've kind of had the small ball center with PJ for the last couple of years and have struggled to find really defensive success on a consistent basis with that. But then you look at the playoffs and you all need like those six, eight guys who can switch out, rebound and block shots. Um, so... There, there does seem to be some skill overlap, but he is an older player. He is probably a little bit more NBA ready. He's just a well-rounded player. He doesn't have too many kind of like I saw weaknesses in his game. Um, obviously, the shot is a bit flat. There might be some worry about if that kind of stays there. He's not only really shot it this past year, but I, I, I love his ability to rebound, to, to block jump shots, to, to explode. Obviously, that for, former volleyball player bloodline, which, is, which has suited him really well. Um, I, I know, I, I know a lot of teams looking at him in Minnesota, but I, I'm kind of beginning to think that he might not be there. Like he just, he's a guy who looks, makes sense. Like he could probably maybe play in the NBA finals next year, like in the rotation as a, as a backup. I could see that. Yeah, I, I definitely think EJ is going to be one of these guys that could surprise a lot of people on draft night where we're in the teens and his name gets called. It's like, oh, Okay, because I and he's a, a senior player, really experienced, really versatile on both ends of the floor, and by all accounts is just a great leader and person. So I imagine that when he's getting in these rooms with these coaching staffs and owners and GMs, I'm assuming that he is impressing the hell out of them. Which, which is something I I've said in my own draft show that I'm doing on the on my podcast that. I really want the Hornets to come out with someone like that in this year's draft, or at least more on the team. I think, you know, reading between the lines and some of the reporting, this team was maybe not the most mature and professional, not not always on the court, but probably more like off it um, in terms of their, their approach, their work ethic. You know, I think probably enjoyed themselves, a bunch of young guys in the 20s playing in the NBA, earning a lot of money. And... You know, Buck Knight, Lamelo Ball uh, are not are guys who probably the the first thing you say about them isn't that oh they're just fantastic leaders like that's not high on the list of characteristics. I'm not saying they're bad at all. Please right. don't quote me as that. But <laughs> everyone, calm know. down. James is doing a good job of dancing around. <laughs> yeah. it, so just calm down, guys. Yeah, we don't need but to call. You, you know what I mean? People talk about Davion Mitchell last year. The way they talk about him, the impact he has on everyone else in the team. Um, Hornets don't really have many of those guys. Um, they lost that with like Marvin Williams, Bismarck Bumbo. They were like their, their guys who did that. And I know it's hard for a rookie to do it, but you can have rookies. The guys like Herb Jones came in last year and made that sort of impact in New Orleans. Yeah, and just having an adult in the room can change a lot of things. And, you know, that's not an indictment on those guys or whatever. The young guys, they'll figure it out. Um, but we, we, we've talked about best case scenario. I'm fascinated to know what 
happens on draft night with 13 and 15 or one or the other and you walk away just thinking what the fuck did we just do what <laughs> is that what is your night's nightmare well, yeah, what's the nightmare scenario? james hit, hit us with the james nightmare <sighs> uzman jang <laughs> oh okay Interesting. okay i love james james you can come <laughs> on the show anytime you want um yeah no i just hate international people no no really <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it, I, I think Jang, particularly for the Hornets, is just a really bad fit. Um, you know, the Hornets need guys who play with defense, physicality, and like, like he is, he has, I think he has some defensive potential, but just like is, has the least amount of contact, contact on any probably prospect I've watched in this year's draft, just tries to avoid it defensively is, uh, and I can just see him getting absolutely, bullied when he's not surrounded by other good defensive players um yes he's a good passer but this Hornets team already has a lot of good passers on the roster I don't think they necessarily need that kind of second third ball handler I I also do think he's probably going to be a a little bit away and I don't think that's what the Hornets are wanting right now like if if you thought Kai Jones and James Bucknight weren't ready to get NBA minutes I'm not sure what year Jeng's getting NBA minutes um but but just on top of that I like his shot. That's and I like his passing flashes, and I like his size. But just his body is so thin; he's so weak. I just have questions about whether he's going to be able to get strong enough to to blow past people in the NBA. He, he doesn't have a great first step. So Jeng is my like worst scenario, and also the one I think would surprise me most because it would be the opposite of kind of the the vibe that the Hornets have given off in the last couple of months. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely get that. And he's one of these names that I've found starting to appear on some mock drafts to the Hornets. Um, and I was really impressed with how he turned his season around and finished the year. But and I've said it multiple times. I think he's going to be an absolute disaster as a rookie. I don't think he's going to be anywhere close to being a positive contributor. And I... I I, I understand what you're saying where it's that doesn't make sense for what this Hornets team is trying to do right now. I, they, they've been right on the precipice of making it, making it into the playoffs and they're looking for that extra little pushover. So maybe long-term Jane gets there, but I, I don't think it's going to help them on the timeline that they're necessarily looking for. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you guys. I, we're not saying that Jane won't be really good. I just don't think that's, I think that'd be a bad fit for Charlotte because they need someone in the first year that could potentially contribute. And Jang might be a second year guy where it's finally starting to show some confidence. I think exactly what Metcalf's saying. I think the first year is going to be just a big developmental year for him. Like he might have to spend some time in the G league and and stuff like that. Go ahead, James. Yeah. And I think you want to put the ball in his hands, like for him to develop properly. Like that's where he could be, you know, a 6'9", 6'10", ball handler creator. And I just don't see that potentially happening in Charlotte with the ball handlers that they've got and him getting that opportunity. So that's, I don't think it's great for him. I don't think it's great for Charlotte. I don't think it's great for, for anyone really. So so that would be probably most surprising and worst case scenario for me on draft night. Rucker, is there anyone when you look at your board or mocks and you see and you think about their fit in Charlotte where you're just like, no, thank you. And, and, and guys that could potentially be realistic. Don't, don't give me some name that you have in the sixties or something that has no chance of going 13 or 15. 
Uh, you, you know, Jang would have been the one guy that really just kind of was alarming to me um, because that's that's also why I've been so intrigued with Charlotte is because I think they're in a good range to get some some nice assets, especially of what they need for that team when we're talking about like someone like Ochai Abaji or Mark Williams or if Jalen Duren's there, um, EJ Liddell, Tari Eason. I just think with what this team needs, Jang would just kind of be like against the idea of like Charlotte's right there. They need like one more good off season of just coming together. Maybe the new coach gets them playing out of their minds and then makes the playoffs next year. But if you take Jang, you're probably kicking the can down the road to where he's going to be able to contribute at a consistent level. So um I, like I Jaden Hardy maybe is a one that's a little bit of a wild card for me that just because you took book night. So are you just doubling down on that idea? And, and kind of what James said earlier, you know, they need some veteran quote veteran like leadership. So are you, are you drafting another guy that might be in the same story as book night? Um, or do you want to get like a Mark Williams who, who could probably, impact that team right away with just how he carries himself or an EJ Liddell. So what about you, Metcalf? Do you have anyone other than Jang? Um, and if they went hardy, I would absolutely hate that. Yeah. I, I think that would be For a both disaster. Parties. Um, and probably Jang again. Um, it, it really is. Seems like it's, that's the big one. About, so shout out to James. I, I want to ask you guys about Agbaji because he's another yeah. one who everyone links because, oh wait, He's senior, so he's NBA ready, and Charlotte want to win. So, echo mock draft, put Agbaji to Charlotte. That's how it works. Um, like, for my philosophy, personally, in drafting is just like never ever try and draft role players ever because, uh, well, not ever, but especially in like the top 15 of the draft, you want to be swinging, trying to get home runs, not hitting singles. Um, I don't even understand that term, I just know it's an American one. <laughs> And it, I think I know what it means, but I'm just going to use it. <laughs> um, and that's one for me that even though, like, if you were, I don't know, championship level and you think, oh, great, we can just add this one guy. And yeah, okay. But at this phase, Charlotte, I, I don't want really drafting for need. Like, your roster and your situation can change so much. You can draft for need and then a year later be like, oh, right. Things have changed. So uh, Agbaje probably like fits because he defends, he shoots, he can get out in transition, which the Hornets do a lot. I think the fit is really neat. He can be reliable. You don't need to worry. He's going to shoot the ball. But for me, it's like you're drafting a career, like maybe fifth starter at best, maybe like sixth, seventh man. And I, that's just not what I want with the draft. I'd much rather take a higher variance prospect uh, in the hope that it becomes... Um, another Miles Bridges type guy who has taken, you know, late lottery and taken some time, but eventually he's now got to the level where he's uh, a very good starting player. Metcalf, um, I'm going to let you take this one because you're the CEO of the Abaji fan club. Although I do love him too. So go ahead, Metcalf. No, I, I, I've, I've been a huge fan of his since he was a freshman and it's been based mostly on his work rate and just kind of how he approaches the game. Um, by all accounts, he's one of the best workers and people and leaders that you'll ever come across. Um, but what he does on the court, I think, is really important and just a testament to his work ethic because I, he's one of the best developmental stories, I think, in recent years where as a freshman, he was just this athletic ball of chaos who just 
all his contributions were purely based on effort. Like he wasn't that skilled. He couldn't shoot. Um, and he just grabbed rebounds, dove for loose balls, generated steals, played defense. And now this year we saw him as one of the best off ball scorers, a legitimate shooter, uh, an improved passer who could still then be a really high level team defender. So I, I, I fully get what you're saying by not drafting role players and guys that, uh, well, he's going to be the sixth or seventh guy in the rotation. I get that. I, I think Igbaji's ceiling is higher than that. I think he could be a really high level starter pretty quickly. Um, and just an overall, just really positive impact on a team based on the way he approaches the game. Um, how much he's improved in the last two, three years makes me, you know, think, okay, there's still room for improvement here. Um, yes, I know he's old, but whatever. I, 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 in the grand scheme of things, I don't really care. But I also agree that just because you're old does not mean that you are NBA ready. There's a difference there. Um, so I, I, I'm a really big fan of Igbaji. I think he's just everything that you kind of want out of a wing and a player and so many of these, you know, quote unquote, three and D wings that are younger. They are, Igbaji is already what we hope a lot of them turn into. So I don't know. That's kind of my spiel for him. Two two prospects that I think are kind of polar opposites in profile, but projecting almost fill a similar role are Branham and Igbaji. Like where would you guys fall on, if they're both there at, 15 and Charlotte are like, yep, we, we want to take a wing. And those are the two guys on the board. Which way would you two be leaning to split those two up for Charlotte? I'd probably, if they wanted to win right away, I would probably say Gabaji just because this is a, I, Metcalf makes fun of me all the time because I'm terrible with pro comparisons. So I'll just, I might as well keep it going. Um, I feel like Gabaji could be what everyone wants Kelly Oubre to be where it's like the more efficient version that plays good defense, but he can get hot from outside and take over. Branham has the upside to be a really, really nice piece. And he's a tough shot maker. So like if they were thinking, Hey, we, we have more upside star power potentially to be a running mate with Lamelo, I would go with Branham because the, the thing with Branham that would pair beautifully with Lamelo is Branham's a really tough shot maker. And I think that's the type of guy where like, in a close game in the fourth quarter, I'm not saying Branham's going to do this immediately as a rookie, but like eventually he could be a guy that Lamelo's like, I don't have to do everything. I can hand it off. Branham can get a shot off. He can get a tough bucket. Like if we need to. So probably it just depends on where they want to go. If, if I had to, I'd probably lean Branham just because of the long-term upside. What about you, Metcalf? Yeah. I'm- Based on my board, I'd Branham. So, you know, I'd, I'd have to go Branham because I, I think his offensive versatility is just kind of undeniable at this point and so far ahead of schedule or where we thought it would be after year one. Um, I, I love him as a spot-up shooter, uh, really dynamic pick-and-roll creator, really good straight-line driver. So he would really help lessen the offensive load for LaMelo as that kind of secondary creator, someone who could kind of more diversify the offense. Um, He's kind of a disaster defensively right now, Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't help on that end at all. Um, I, I think Igbaji would really help their defense a lot more, but the overall offensive impact is going to be just as an off ball scorer where I, I don't really see him having a ton of, you know, second side creation 
potential. I mean, he he really improved at attacking closeouts and then either scoring or creating for others off of those. And I really buy the off-ball shooting, the backdoor lobs, the transition stuff. I think all of that's really legitimate, but he's really not going to take or or you know diversify the resp- how the ball handling responsibility is doled out. Um, so based on my board, I go Branham. Um, but you know when, when thinking of fit and just kind of improving the team on both ends of the floor, I kind of like Ibashi. Yeah, I think what we've discussed here is there's a lot of ways the Hornets can go. It's fascinating, and like I think on draft night, I'd be like, yeah, sure, makes sense. I guess the <laughs> only thing is if they were to keep 13 and 15 and and didn't draft one of Williams or Duran and they're available, I think people would like get very confused very quickly, unless they'd already make the trade for a center. If they like took, I don't know, Sohan and yeah, Branham and left Mark Williams on the board. I think people would be pretty shocked at that. And and I would be too, because for all the reasons we've already talked about. So is, is, would that just be a symptom of Jordan and Kupchak's ties to UNC and them refusing to take a Duke guy? <laughs> well, everyone always jokes about this, but <laughs> You, you need to remember Gerald Henderson, who Very was true. a lottery pick for the Charlotte, then Bobcats, went to Duke. It was between him and Terrence Williams. I think the Nets selected Terrence Williams just ahead of them, so they had to settle for Gerald Henderson. So I like to throw that one out to dispel the Jordan-Duke myth. But um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Jake Fisher's report today, he had a little buzz about, uh, see how I did that? Charlotte Hornets buzz. Uh, he had a little buzz about the Hornets potentially trying to get uh, Miles Turner for one of those picks. And I was like, oh, now that is an interesting tidbit that I would love. But, you know, it's rumor season. So I only believe like 20% of the stuff that comes out for the next week. So I, it, it'll be interesting though, James. I, I, I agree with you. I could see them trying to move one of those picks if they could get some veteran help. But can they get someone to bite? This is the time of the year where you get people to bite. So it, it'll be fascinating. I went through the last 10 years of drafts and I tried to find examples of where teams drafted a pick for a veteran player. Just doesn't happen. Like right. you can't find a simple deal, which is, hey, you get 15 and we get Yaka Pertl. Like, right, right. That just doesn't happen in the draft. You. You move picks backwards and forwards. You you can be part of bigger two, three-way deals. And I think what a lot of Hornets fans are just like, great, just trade 13 for a big. Trade it for Miles Turner. Trade it for Rashawn Holmes and something else. Like Because they just got fed up at this point of watching uh, Plumlee, which, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion on that. Um, but I, I just don't think it will be as simple as that, but I, I definitely, like I said, I definitely think they'll be looking to move picks, whether that's trading up, trading, trading out, trading for future picks. Um, that, that could be another deal as well. Um, they're going to probably lose their picks. We imagine to New York in the next year or two. Um, and it also makes it harder for them to trade picks because they've got that one outstanding at the moment. So if they could get a future first, to use as currency, which is what Kupchak refers to these two picks as in this press conference. He called them currency. Um, that's something they could also look at as well. Again, that wouldn't really mesh with the timeline, which seems to suggest they're trying to push it now. But um, it could, you know, it's really important right now that the asset cabinet is pretty full in Charlotte. You don't want to empty that for like a average starting center in the NBA because you will only get so many times to cash in those assets for players to fit around the mellow. 
you need to make sure they're right because if you get it wrong, it's going to be, you know, Lamelo's going to be looking out the door and the, the new cycle of Charlotte Hornets misery will start all over again. Yeah, I feel like it's so rare to trade the player for a pick. Like the last one I remember off the top of my head is like Jason Richardson to the Bobcats for Brendan Wright. I, I mean, that's how far, long ago it was. So I, I hear what you're saying. Metcalf, go ahead. I interrupted you, but you should be No, I, I was just going to say, but, but before we wrapped up, I just wanted to get some of James's just overall general draft thoughts on, you know, guys that you've really been impressed with, guys that you really like, and maybe some guys that you're a little more hesitant to buy into. Yeah. Well, I have to give the No Ceilings podcast credit for probably the guy who I'm highest on compared to consensus, and that's Peyton Watson. Amazing. Ooh. I love this. This is the best guest ever, <laughs> including our whole New Ceilings team. <laughs> and I promise you, no one has paid me to say this, right? Um, I, I, I think the Peyton Watson pod was probably one of the first ones I listened to this draft cycle. Um, and I listened to it and I was like, I need, like, he's going to be pretty high on my list to watch because that's super interesting. And everything that you guys are talking about, I, I just saw it. Uh, the the defensive impact on the game you can feel him being out there um, the offensive upside I swear he's bigger than like six eight seven foot wingspan like he just looks bigger out there I don't understand why um, it's interesting I I am um, I part of like a bit of a draft uh, draft Twitter DM group and I posted saying is anyone I've got Peyton Watson at twenty right so I said, is anyone higher out there than me? And I think there was only one person who had him higher, and that was PD Webb. Which Amazing. Was like, oh, okay. That makes me feel a bit better about things. Um, so, so, yeah, Peyton Watson is, is the guy. But, I mean, I, I don't need to tell you why because, you know, for all the reasons you guys said, <laughs> one of the reasons I like him. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he's a Zaya Williams type, you know, draft guy this year. Terrible season, terrible context, but I, I, I loved from what I saw and some of the reports out of the practices at UCLA were also really promising as well. I love this. That's a good one. I was not expecting you to say that, but I, I, I that was worth it. That was worth the question. I love it. Is there I'm anyone gonna, else? Yeah, I'll give him more of a niche one. This is one guy who I see like going undrafted in some places, and I, I can't understand it. And so tell me. Tell me why this guy should go in the second round. I'm going to ask you. It's Julian Champagny. Oh, this because is good. James bringing the heat. This is great. From what I see, I know his shooting percentages weren't great this year, but I mean, look at the situation he was in. If you watch him shoot the ball, it is as pure as like any guy. It looks as pure as any guy in the draft. He took some really high difficulty shots. He's got size. He's got really good kind of stocks numbers. Like I like his ability to to protect the rim, to be active in defense while also being a shooter. So if you're talking about like the versatile defensively three and D wing, um, he's like got some good athleticism when he's out in transition, he's got a head of steam. Again, like you said earlier, a lot of these guys, you think, Oh, it could be a three and D switchable wing. Julian Champagny already is that I know he's older, but so, so tell me why Champagny isn't a first rounder. Cause I, I don't know where you guys have him on your boards. Rucker, Metcalf, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I love Champagne. I, I would 100% think he's draftable. I, I, mm-hmm. I, the league loves shooting, but they also 
there's a history of shooting doesn't get appreciated in the draft. Like just the guys that can absolutely light it up from outside and really shoot. And that's their calling card. The league has always just drafted those guys later. I mean, it's just been hilarious when you go back and look at some of the names that how late they go. Um, and I'd like Champagny. Like I liked him last year. He went back. He had some games this year where he was very impressive. Um, I, I think the defense is, probably better than I was expecting. It still has to be more consistent and and stuff like that, but I like his game a lot. He's one of those guys where someone smart is going to take a gamble on him in the second round if he's there. Um, And if he somehow doesn't get drafted, I would imagine he's the first call with a, hey, we have a two-way for you. Like, we we want you that bad, and and he won't be an undrafted guy for long. But he's just fascinating because I I think it's a classic upperclassman Everyone wants to gamble on upside when you get to that point of the drafts. And it's like, why this guy might stick on your roster and be a good piece. Like if Charlotte somehow got him in the second round, I, I, that'd be great. It'd be a very, very good piece in the rotation. But um, Metcalf, what do you think? Uh, so I, I have him like mid second round uh, or like early fifties. So I guess late second round, um, I fully buy the scoring. I think that he's a much better shooter than the percentages may indicate. Um, I think a lot of that was shot selection and in an NBA context, you know, hope you would think that that changes when he's not the guy on a below average team. Um, I think where I break with you guys a little bit is the defense. And I, I don't, love it. I, it felt like he coasted and that his motor was barely running um, on that end of the floor. Uh, now, if he was, you know, trying to properly allocate energy based on how much of a scoring load he had to take on, uh, that's one thing. So there, there definitely could be more there um, from a defensive perspective, but it, it just felt like he was kind of going through the motions on that end of the floor, which just always kind of personally bugs me, but I'm, the, the 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 dude can score. I mean, he was one of the best scorers in the country. I dynamic shooter uh, off the catch, off the dribble, mid range fadeaways. Um, it, it was really impressive stuff. So, I mean, he was in the thirties a lot, or for a lot of the year for me. Um, and then just kind of kept dropping based more on guys rising as I caught up to like more international guys and some of these guys where he's like, oh, okay, I thought you were gonna come back for uh, or come back to school for a year and now you're screwing everything up for me how selfish of them by by staying in, in the draft so Trevor kills yeah <laughs> exactly exactly so I, I i like him there there's a lot to like um i i would spend a draft pick on him um but it, i i would really need to do my research and talk to his coaches and stuff it's like okay what why is he just going through the motions on a lot of this stuff? Is it because of the offensive responsibilities he had, or is it because he just doesn't care? And then I, I had one last question for you guys, bit of a niche one. I'm, I'm hoping you're going to like it. Is that I think Charlotte have 45. Um, I think they're going to use that on a two-way player because we talked about the roster crunch earlier. And I think actually this year they might be the first second round selection to give out a two-way, if that makes sense. So for those players who said to the agents, yes, I will take a two-way contract, who do you think is the best player who would take a two-way in the second round in a reasonable world? Because we've seen it before with guys like Lou Dort who just said, like, I want to go and drafted. Uh, It's happened again last year with... uh, 
Henry, Aaron Henry, that's not right. Henry from Michigan State. Aaron um, Henry, yeah. Yeah, who said, like, I want to go undrafted so I can sign where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Who is the best player who will agree to a two-way contract at 45 who who you think Charlotte could have a look at? Yeah, th- this is always so tricky because especially since I have some guys in that range who are definitely going to go in the first round. Um, Jimmy I, Davidson was the first name that came to my head, but I'm not convinced he'll be there, Metcalf. Am I? You think he's gone before pick 45? I don't, he must, if he wasn't participating in anything, something crazy's going on. Oh God. I, no, I, I mean, but I, he, I, I would have it. That would, well, I, I'm not saying I would, but I'm saying <laughs> that would be, that'd be the name. Hmm? Maybe, uh, so I'm really for me. So, so for me, like a guy like Iverson Molinar or maybe yeah. Jabari Walker, Jordan Hall, um, Darion Sebron are a, a couple names that kind of jump out to me as, guys who could either go second round or undrafted. Um, so I like yeah, Walker the, a lot there. Yeah. I want to, I, and I, I really like him in Charlotte too. It, he, he, he's a guy that I have no idea how the league views him. Uh, Cause just when, when you look online, just his range is all over the place. Um, so I, I, I think that could be really interesting. Yeah, I I would say Jabari. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of intrigue with Jabari around the league. I just think people were wanting like a little more. But there's he also just had an, a very impressive second half of the year for Colorado. So I think there's also going to be some teams that are convinced like, hey, he's on the he's on the up he's on the upside. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. Iris and Molinar and Jabari are pretty good ones. I can't believe I said J.D. Davison, so now I can't get that one out of my head. Um, Do we yeah. think Josh Minot's taking a two-way or not? Oh, gosh. Someone had to say it. Um, so I, I don't think he's there at 45. Um, but whether oh, or not he's yeah. taking a two-way is It's kind of a J.T. Gore-type prospect, yeah. isn't he? Like, far away, but there's some in there that you want to you wanna get in the building and, and figure out if you can do something with it. This is going to be played back for years to come, but I'd still probably rather have JT Thor. Same. I, I had JT Thor is in the teens last year. Yeah. Oh gosh, you had him that early? Yeah, I might have had him in the lottery. <laughs> I, I love JT Thor, man. He's, he's, I, I, I he's, he's some stuff in Charlotte this year. He's, he, he, with the time that he got, considering how Rory is, he's done really well. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I really like... Talk. <laughs> no, I, I loved how they brought him along slowly and just kind of let him slowly get minutes and develop in the G League. I, 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 I'm really high on him long term. Um, no one will ever score a better two points in the NBA than JT Thor, who just absolutely destroyed Andre Drummond. If you've not seen it after this podcast finishes, make sure you go go watch that. He just annihilated him for his first NBA points. It was great. Rucker, you got anything else? Is that the guy... Next year, James, for, for Hornets fans or for just NBA fans that haven't been following the team, like a, a young guy that potentially takes that big leap. Is it JT Thor? Is it, you know, the Kai Jones experience? Is it is there somebody else that you have your eye on when it comes to a young player that might take that leap for the Hornets? I know yeah. we talked about Book Night next year, but just maybe someone outside the box we haven't brought up yet. I honestly think it'll be Kai, the Kai Jones will be the guy. Um, I, I know he's not really talked about me yet, but Kai Jones really made a lot of strides this year. I mean, coming into the season, 
he didn't know what position he was. The team didn't know what position he was. Like everyone was asking him. No one, no one had any answers. A summer league, he was trying to like these dribble moves in between his legs. Like it just looked like what what's he trying to do here? <laughs> then he basically spent the whole year in Greensboro. They just simplified the game for him completely. You are going to screen, you're going to rim run, you'll shoot the odd open three, and you will run dribble handoffs. And as the year go, went on, he got really, really good on that. And in his last 10 games in the G League, he was 20 points, 10 rebounds, one and a half steals, two and a half blocks, 66% field goal percentage, 42% from three. That was his was last 10 good. games. Yeah, pretty good. Things clicked. And I watched some of those Greensboro games and he was just everywhere, like defensively making an impact on the perimeter, on the interior. And you saw him in a much more simplified role where he wasn't trying to take people off the dribble from the perimeter and he wasn't trying too many fadeaways unless kind of when he had to, when the shot clock was expiring. And you suddenly looked at it and you went, this is this is what his role should be in the NBA. So by the end of the year, like, and Borrego even made a comment on one of his media availabilities, like they were really impressed what Kai Jones was doing. And it would not surprise me at all if Kai Jones was in the center rotation next year. Um, it, Love that. I'm not saying don't draft someone over him. Like, you know, he's got a good, good 10 games in the G League. Like, right. you, you do what you need to in the draft. But he's the guy who I think, especially with how this team plays, um, you know, his connection with Lamelo, which on the minutes we did see on the court was pretty good. Um, I think he could be really set for a good breakout season. And one of the, one of like the really hard workers on the team for all accounts as well. Which which puts him in good stead. God, I love I love that because Kai was another guy I, I had in my lottery. Rucker, I know that you hated him. Um, no, I don't hate anyone. I just I, I was everyone was talking about him as a top ten pick based yeah. off of his highlights, and I was like, there's a long way to go to develop him. So where, down, where was he, where was he on your board? Do you think Rucker? Uh, probably late first round. Okay, then no, you did I, hate him. I, I might have had him like <laughs> top twenty, but I just oh convenient I, how that changed. No, no, no. Well, I don't know because I watched a lot of them and I was like, someone's going to think he's a Hall of Famer from his highlights only. But when he went to Charlotte, I said, okay, they're going to be patient. They're going to see what they can do long term. And I love hearing that report because it's that's how it should be with those yes. raw prospects. If someone simplifies the game and says, hey, you're trying to do too much out there. Let's turn you first into a basketball player with some confidence and then we can expand your game. So I love I loved hearing that. I I wanted to ask about it earlier, but, you know, Metcalf just always throws me off, James, so I'm sorry. Well, you, you got to learn how to speak up quicker. Though. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning, okay? <laughs> well, James, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciated the insights into a team that's been confusing me a lot. Um, so please plug away, tell everyone where they can find your stuff and where they can support you. Yeah, so probably most relevant to your listeners is the uh, All Hornets Podcast Network. Um, I'm hosting a draft show on there with my, my friend Chase Whitney. Probably doing two, three episodes a week up to the draft, up to Summer League. Um, it is Hornets kind of looking at things through the Hornets lens, but it's just draft content and talk, so it will be of interest. Um, on top of that, you can check out some of our draft work, mock drafts, Hornets-specific prospect rankings, and Everything else you want for Charlotte Hornets news at the uh, SI Hornets website, um, allhornets.com. You'll be able to find it out there. Um, and you can also find me at British underscore buzz as well if you uh, want to listen in on my musings. But um, yeah, guys, thanks thanks so much for having me on. Um, There's a lot of fun. I mean, I asked to come on. Like, let's just be <laughs> frank <laughs> to the listeners. Um, I, I was like, 
I really want to come on this show because I, I love what you guys do. Um, and yeah, I, I always love talking about the draft. I think it's the most fascinating night in any sport of the year. It's my literally, for me, it's Christmas Eve. I can't wait. I'm sure you guys can't. And uh, yeah, looking, can't wait for the draft. I hope it gets here even quicker than it being only, what, eight days away now. So, Rucker, plug away. Tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, most importantly, James did ask to come on, but me and Metcalf were like, we need to get someone from the Hornets on here. And then James yeah. just sends us a message, and we're like, perfect, great timing. But um, James, thank you again for coming on. Um, I'm at NoSeilingsNBA.com, of course. And then on Twitter, I'm at Tyler underscore Rucker. Tomorrow, um, I will be having an article with Corey about the one and only Chet Holmgren. So make sure you guys check that out. (laughs) But James, thanks again for for coming on. This was a blast. And now I'm even more confused about what I want the Hornets to do. So I appreciate it. Welcome to the club. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at TMetcalf11. You can find our No Ceilings draft guide and merchandise at noceilingsnba.bigcartel.com. You can find all of our written work for free at noceilingsnba.com. Uh, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at noceilingsnba and on YouTube at noceilingstv. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see you.